Hello, and welcome to Back Issue Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about an older comic book storyline. In this back issue spotlight, I am joined by James, and we're going to discuss Avengers Forever 1 through 6 out of the 12 issue series from 1998. James, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you doing, John? I am doing well. Now, this is written by Kurt Busick. We got art by Carlos Pacheco, and I really remember thoroughly enjoying this series back when it came out. I don't know that I've reread it since. Okay. So close to 25 years now? Yeah, I remember when this came out, I, that was one of the periods in my life where I was kind of out of comics. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I had read it because I picked it up, I'm almost positive, through like an eBay auction or something when I got back into comics. And, and so I did read it in the single issues, but all at once. And I remember I enjoyed it. I didn't love it, but I was like, it was enjoyable. It, it, and the, the thing that I didn't love was like, it's not the characters that you really know. You know what I mean? Well, it's doubly so now because this starts out with a couple of, with a framing, not a framing, it starts out with the Avengers trying to do something for Rick Jones, who's not doing well. Yeah. And there are a couple Avengers on that team that is like, oh yeah, they were Avengers. Yeah, that's how I felt. Like, it, it, you're like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, you kind of feel off kilter when you're reading it. Well, yeah, because it's been ages since Firestar and Justice were Avengers. Yeah, and they weren't really popular Avengers either, you know? At least with the general populace. If you ask people about the Avengers, those are not names that'll come up. Yeah, if you ask people to name Avengers, you're absolutely right. That's not on the the, the top five, top ten, top 25. Exactly. (laughs) They're way down the list. (laughs) Maybe top 50 depends. I guess it depends who you ask. But yeah, yeah. I I mean, I enjoy those two, but it it is kind of funny. Yeah. Now, was it just me, or, I mean, I thought this had the feel of, like, a classic kind of early Marvel-era story in some respects? It really did. Everything from the... There's a lot of wording in there. Oh, yes. It's very wordy, but not in a bad way. No, no. It just takes a while to read. I remember when I first read it, I was like, are these 48-page issues? (laughs) Because it it takes that amount of time. You're like, oh, my God. (laughs) I'm reading a lot here. And that's not a bad thing. You get your money's worth. It's not wasted space, but Kurt Busiek puts a lot of words on the page. Yeah, it's 25 pages, but it reads almost like a a 48 or whatever. And there was something about the style, particularly the narration captions. Yes, it felt very old school. It it felt like a Stanley, Roy Thomas kind of purple prose or whatever in a a really good way. Yeah, yeah. He, He was going for that retro feel almost the way he wrote this. And it it definitely felt like a retro story because they kept going back and referencing the Kree Scroll War, mm-hmm. which took place, you know, back in the heyday, though the early Avengers in the seventies or something. Yeah, 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 like a long time ago, <laughs> well, which there- is 50, fifty years ago now. Oh, yeah, wow, yeah. Well, I didn't read it when it first came out. I was, I was, I'm not sure I was reading at that point, depending when it came out. I don't even remember if it was early seventies or what, but certainly by late seventies, I was reading just not Marvel. Yeah. And there are definitely story elements of this pulling out of there, some stuff hearkening back to the founding of the Avengers, and really, Busick was going for a somewhat 
timeless Avengers story, an Avengers forever in a very almost literal sense. Yes. And that was a lot of what I enjoyed about this. And we wind up with, at the end of the first issue, because, I mean, we've got the the then-current team of Avengers that Busick was writing, but we wind up at the end of the first issue with the team we're going to follow for this, you know, 12-issue story. Exactly, yeah. And there are Avengers plucked from all over time. Yeah, it was it was a fun mix. And it's kind of funny, because arguably you had four founding Avengers, yet no Thor, Hulk, or Iron Man. Which was weird, yeah? <laughs> and I'm sure somebody out there is doing the math saying, but that's not possible. Well, we got Wasp, definitely a founding Avenger. Yeah. We got two Hank Pims, that kind of bumps the count up in a cheaty sort of a way. Yeah. And I would argue Rick Jones himself, who literally founded the Avengers in a very real sense, ought to count. Yeah. I. You know what? I, I, I agree with you there. Because he, he was around from the beginning. He was the one who call, made the call to, to get the people together. Exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah. Kind of fun. And I can't remember for the life of me, because Rick Jones has this whole status quo going on where he has this power in him. And I, I guess that – was that a thing that was going on in the regular Avengers or just for this story? I can't remember back then. I wasn't reading. It was mostly just for this story, but it does harken okay. back to the Kree Skrull War. And they give, you know, kind of how he plucked people out of, you know, the Golden Age or whatever. Yeah. And stuff. I just, for the life of me, didn't know if that was, like, legit what was going on then. Don't know. <laughs> it's not a power he has really surfaced, I think, since. And he's had a variety of status quos and powers and whatnot over the years. I mean, he was a Hulk for a while. A-bomb or something like that. I forget what code name he went by. Yep. He was linked to one of the Captain Marvels, which actually is the Captain Marvel we get in this story. Yep, exactly. And it's clearly from before the two were were linked by the quantum bands or what have you. And I mean, really, I mean, the, the team we wind up with is a Captain America at a low point in his story and stuff. It was before he really became the be-all, end-all leader we know him to be. Yes. He's got super strength. This is a little after fighting the Secret Empire and shortly before he becomes Nomad. And those kind of other Avengers in the know of, of his future history and stuff are kind of like, ooh, yeah, not – of all the times to pick Steve Rogers, that was not it. <laughs> not the best of times. We've got Wasp and Giant Man from some point after the Thunderbolts were formed. Yep. They don't know this Captain Marvel. And Wasp and Giant Man are from the same time frame, and it seems like it's just past kind of the current era where this story is set. Yes. And I don't know if in Busick's run we ever get a point where they're kind of plucked out and dropped back in or anything. We get Hawkeye, clearly from sometime before the Wasp was ever a leader of the Avengers. It seemed to be just after the Kree Scroll War, during a period he wasn't using the trick arrows, had given up the whole Goliath growing aspect, and he seemed to be hanging around with Hercules at this time. Yeah, he's just a plain archer with no special tricks. Yeah. But I did like how at one point, when they divided into sub-teams, Wasp put him in charge because she knew the kind of leader he was later on. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. And it was kind of a, how did she know I would you know, actually grow up and, and not be a jerk at this point? Or, you know, whatever if the, the exact phrasing was. But yeah. The really surprising one that was a lot of fun was we get Yellow Jacket just before Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne get married. Yes. And of course, 
Rick has quite a few status quos and stuff over the the ages, but man, Hank Pym takes the cake for that too. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> and Yellow Jacket, not not one of his his better times. I would agree with you there. Yeah, that was definitely not one of his shining moments. And I'll be honest, some of the stuff, like the period we've got Hawkeye from, even Captain America, although I've got a little bit of his Nomad, maybe not his original. I, I, I've got a lot of Cap stuff, but. Hawkeye's time frame we pulled him from and Yellow Jacket are, are kind of weak areas for me in Marvel continuity. I hadn't realized at this point Hank Pym had amnesia and didn't realize he was Hank Pym. Yeah, I honestly didn't remember that either. So we're in the same boat. <laughs> yeah. And then the Genesville Captain Marvel was picked from some point in the future. I think the, the most notable thing was less where he's from, but that at this point with Rick, not a fan of, of Genesville. So that, again, puts their future relationship into a, an interesting light. And then Songbird, uh, who mentions the Destiny War and stuff to Captain Marvel, seems to have known Captain Marvel from either when they were both Avengers or that they both had been Avengers and stuff like that. But at this point, she had never been an Avenger. She's still over with the Thunderbolts. Yeah, exactly. It seems like there's no rhyme or reason to who was picked here. I mean, Busick might even like these characters, which is fine, you know, but, you know, which one are the futures, which ones are the past, which one are the current versions? I couldn't figure anything out why they were chosen, but, you know, he worked with them and here they are, you know, he kind of maybe he rolled the dice. I have no clue. I've got to figure that in the second half of this, we're going to find out why them, why then. Yeah. And I got to wonder if Busick picked them not so much out of a hat, but was kind of in terms of what would be an interesting group of characters, and then for each of those characters, what would be an interesting point in time, and then how could he justify that later in the story, or did he have the justification and that kind of naturally led to these guys? Exactly. Yeah. So I'm waiting for that because just reading it, you know, it's kind of like this weird mishmash team. And right from the jump, they're not together. They 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 split them up into different little groups, mm -hmm. and and they're all off in different parts of the time stream. So and it was all over the place. You know, you're like this group's here, this group, and trying to keep that together in my mind. I was just like, oh, this is the type of story that's going to drive me nuts. <laughs> well, let's let's point out to the listeners that the basic thing that the Avengers are kind of stuck in the middle of is Kang versus Immortus. Exactly. Time travelers and <laughs> time masters. Well, and the same guy. Yeah, exactly. Because Kang's a younger version of Immortus. Exactly. And so it's Kang versus Kang, essentially, but Immortus, yeah. And they're masters of time, and they are using populaces from across the time spectrum, Yeah, like armies, to fight each other. And it's just mass chaos. <laughs> well, like most of issue three, we've got this big battle in Chronopolis, which is a place that's sort of halfway in limbo and halfway connected to every point in time or whatnot. Yeah. They're fighting, like, literally, it seems like everybody under the sun from every era, because Immortus is after the, the heart of forever and such. And all of that is just a ton of fun. And then after they leave there and kind of get chased out of there, that's when we split out to Hawkeye, Songbird, and Yellowjacket wind up in 1873 Tombstone, Arizona. <laughs> Which seems completely random. <laughs> well, but it kind of makes a certain degree of sense because it allowed Busick to pull in a lot of Western characters. That was kind of cool because, believe it or not, you know, it's, it's a genre that's not touched on very much. So when I read it, I tend to like the Western comics that we get. But yeah, you saw like the Rawhide Kid, and I can't remember the names of the other characters we saw. Kid Colt, Two-Gun Kid, later on we got Black Rider, Reno Jones, and Kid Cassidy, 
kinda sorta, as well as Knight Rider, Ringo Kid, and I think it was Two Gun Kid who was later in Avenger or earlier in Avenger. Later for him, earlier for, for us, I guess, in Avenger. Yeah, which is really cool because it's an era of Marvel that's kind of when from when Westerns were popular back mm-hmm. in the the fifties and sixties and stuff like that, and, and they've just kind of kind of gone by the wayside, and you might get a token appearance every now and then. So that part was kind of cool. But when I was reading, I was like, Tombstone in Arizona—that's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, when it was first just the American Southwest, yeah. And I'm like, well, that doesn't narrow it down. Oh, Tombstone, and then of course that's a, a classic Western setting and stuff. Makes a lot of oh. sense. Apparently, there's a, a Kang storyline where he gets defeated by Hawkeye, Thor, and Moon Dragon at some point. Yeah. And I would have liked a little better foot. Well, not better footnoting. I would have liked footnoting because most of this was coming out in dialogue. Yeah, it was. It was all dialogue. And, and, and Kurt, you know, bless him. He's at the beginning of every issue. He tries to catch you up with what in the heck's going on. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. And honestly, it's kind of needed <laughs> because there's so much going on. Well, if if you just picked any issue other than the first up off the rack, you're like, what is with this group of Avengers? Yeah, how can we have two Hank Pims at the same time or whatever? And then once you split them up and scatter them across time, yeah, you need a little bit of, not so much a recap, but narration to put you back in the scene every issue. Yeah, let's set the table. Here's what's going on. Here's what these guys are doing. Oh, okay. All right, cool. Here, let's go. Because, well, we've got those three having met what I'm going to call the Western Avengers, for lack of any better term. Yep. We then have Giant Man and Captain America in the 21st century during a Martian invasion of Earth. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. (laughs) And it's really Kill Raven's time frame and the whole Martian invasion stuff. But we get an old Black Panther, Jocasta, Thundra, Crimson Dynamo, and Living Lightning. And that's kind of that era's band of Avengers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, you really aged Black Panther and Kill Raven, who you never see anymore. But mm-hmm. it, it was kind of cool, but they're bloodthirsty killing Avengers because humanity's been wiped out from billions down to, like, I think they were saying 50,000 people yeah. left. Yeah, they're They're a little, you know, not happy at this point, and understandably so. Yeah, they are They are not having mercy on the any uh, Martians they come across. <laughs> I'm trying to think if Living Lightning was an Avenger at this point in Busick's run or not. That, I, I wouldn't know I, for the life of me. I know he was during part of Busick's run. I just don't remember where this sits versus the timeline of the other stuff. Yeah. But doing Killraven's kind of setting and whatnot was interesting. They didn't do a whole lot so far with like Crimson Dynamo and whatnot, but what they did with Jocasta was very interesting and they leave a little of it a little nebulous so you know i'm curious if that ever gets touched on either later in this or elsewhere yeah i agree it'd be kind of cool and then wasp and uh, captain marvel wind up in 1959 california and they meet what i'm going to call for lack of any better term the atlas avengers yeah This is essentially the Agents of Atlas. We've got 3D Man, Marvel Boy, Human Robot, Venus, and Gorilla Man. And this is all from a What If the Avengers Had Formed in the 1950s story, which was an issue, unsurprisingly, of What If. Yeah. And what's interesting is they're sent to these different places in search of something that's going to help them to fight Immortus, because Kang, the younger version mm-hmm. of Immortus, they've teamed up with, and but they don't really know what they're looking for. And so I'm assuming it's going to come to light. I can't remember the story back when I read it for the life of me, but it's kind of interesting because they're sent there, but 
something to help us fight Immortus. What is the thing? We don't know. Well, they know there are anomalies there and something something's going on. Yeah, and, what that anomaly is, I don't know. Well, they're kind of teamed up with Kang sort of in their adventure. They're also encountering Kang from other points in his life where they're not teamed up with him, or he's not teamed up with them, I should say. Which makes it completely like, what the <laughs> Oh yeah, and there are a couple of the characters, I think Hawkeye is one of them. It's like, how do they keep track of this? <laughs> That's, that was me. He was uh, tipping his hat to me, the reader, saying, yeah, how do you keep track of this? <laughs> well, and the other character we've got through much of this, although he kind of get, gets kicked to the curb for a bit, is a mystery man in the first issue who's revealed to be Libra, Master of Balance, of Zodiac. Yeah. Libra, Master of Balance. That's my character. I'm a Libra, so yeah, there we well, go. Well, and the Zodiac group, there have been a couple of different iterations of in Marvel and whatnot, and I'm not going to claim to be that familiar with them. Yeah, they're kind of obscure. But what is it about the Libra version? Because there's also a Zodiac group, unsurprisingly, over at DC, and the Libra one, I think, was the one who was one of the leaders of the Secret Society of Supervillain at various points and stuff like that. I think it's that whole balance of I can help you until you're winning, and then I've got to not help you because you're winning. Yeah. You know, kind of turncoat sort of guy. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it, it's, a, it's a character that you rarely see, and that, that's what made it – it's made it kind of interesting because it's a character that a lot of people just don't touch. And Kurt, mm-hmm. Bus- Kurt Busiek went in there, and he's using all these ultra-obscure characters, and you're just like, oh, I never haven't seen this guy. Oh, yeah, I read about him. Yeah. 20 years ago. Wow. <laughs> well, to me, this is the power of continuity. You've got such a rich tapestry and backdrop to play with that you can take characters, drop them into particular times and, and locales, and have natives there that are potentially recognizable by the readers. Exactly. I think that's just cool. It is cool. And sometimes they can almost refresh the character and make them somewhat usable and, and, and relevant to the modern day reader. If it's, if it's done right, you know, they brought Kite Man back at DC. I can't remember the writer who did it. And it worked for when they did it. You know, they kept popping up and it worked. But it, it kind of gives them a chance to come out of the closet because these things are shelved sometimes, mm-hmm. never to see the light of day again. And you, you, we question that now, you know, they'll come out with a new character. You'll be like, maybe we'll see this in 20 years again when someone, oh, yeah, remember this character back then? <laughs> well, let me take Rick Jones. Yeah, Rick Jones is rarely seen. There are times that it's like, whatever happened to? And there are other times of, can we get rid of the guy? Exactly. I, the, the last time I remember reading Rick Jones was, a lot of Rick Jones was Peter David, the Hulk. Now, he, he would write about Rick Jones and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it, nobody really touches the character right now. You don't see him. He was used in the latest Captain Marvel Genesis Vell miniseries. Oh, not too uh, long ago. I'm sorry. Yeah, I did see him there. I forgot about that. <laughs> well, I mean, there are certain characters that he's kind of a go-to either sidekick or partner of. Hulk, Captain Marvel of, of, of about half of the male Captain Marvels. Let me put it that way. The female yeah. ones, not so much. And it's funny. Uh, Peter David once again used him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He must like the character. Well, it's a fun character. And it's one that is kind of the everyman who's been in the superhero realm enough yeah. to know everybody. He knows everyone, and yet, it, typically, he doesn't bring a lot to the table as far as, you know, what he, he can do physically or, mm-hmm. you know, power-wise, power set. He, he's a guy. But yeah, exactly. He's been around. Everyone knows him. He's like the who's who. He's like the guy who kind of ties it all together. Yeah, yeah. I just find it funny on the cover of the first issue. He's in the wheelchair because of his health issues at the time. 
yeah. but he's snapping, and it, it, it makes it so easy for me. Hey, that's Snapper Carr of the Justice League, and it's not. <laughs> you you want to know what was funny when I was reading this? I got to the third page on the first issue, mm-hmm. and you see the hammer troopers dropping from above. Oh, yeah. And it made me think back to that Thor's when Hickman did that with his Avengers thing. Mm-hmm. His big event at the end of the Avengers, he had that Thor's comic where the Thor's were the police force. Well, that was all part of Secret Wars. Secret Wars. And I was like, was Hickman referencing this? Possibly. I don't know. <laughs> well, and the whole bit of who the big bad is at the beginning. And we know that's going to circle back and there's got to be some kind of a showdown. Yeah. And it's funny because once you get past five, six pages in, that's all prologue. Now we're into the main story that, you know, if when I was reading this on a monthly basis, uh, about a year later, when it would by that point, hopefully come full circle or whatever, I had probably forgotten this part. Exactly. Because he's, we read these first six issues. You see him here at the beginning, mm-hmm. but you don't see him again. And so, yeah, he's going to pop up at, at the end. We know he's coming. But yeah, you would have forgotten if this was stretched out over a year. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's one where reading stuff as it comes out, reading it in a single city, whether it's the stack of the comics, whether it's you know digitally, whether it's the trade, the omnibus, whatever, it's a different experience. It really is. It, it's completely, completely different. And things that don't hold my attention in the monthly comics, I think might read better and maybe hold my attention when, if you read it all together. And you experience that when you let it back up, when you're, you're, oh, yeah. you're behind by 1,800 issues or however many it was <laughs> well, <but laughs> a while back. <laughs> if you think about the end of the first issue here, yeah. this is when we get the reveal of the seven Avengers. Correct. And at this point, all we know is that two of them can't be from the same time period, you know, Giant Man and, and Yellow Jacket, but we don't know when they were plucked from. Exactly. We're, so we're kind of clueless. The benefit of reading it monthly is you've got time to speculate on this. Yeah. So it developed conversation at the comic shop mm-hmm. or with your friends. You'd be like, oh, this guy. Oh, I remember. I think I read about him here. Or is this a guy who we haven't read about yet? And so definitely, you know, like, hmm. Something to talk about. Or in the modern era, something for people to get, you know, articles for their their website or whatever on. Very true. (laughs) So, because, I mean, I I can't tell you how many times I'll see an article that's very clearly referencing what somebody thinks is going to come next in a story that just came out that morning. Yeah. And I'm like, that's cool, but can you do it without spoiling it in the headlines? (laughs) Exactly. It's crazy. And we got that kind of reveal ending or whatnot in quite a few of the issues. Which was really cool. It was nice. This was set up very he 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 wrote it very smartly where he set you up with like, boom, here's the reveal. You're excited to read the next issue. Yeah, absolutely. And there's never kind of a slow moment in this thing. No, it was quick. Other than it takes a while to read, but it's something's always going on. Exactly. There's never a point at which it's like, come on, move this forward, you're killing time or whatnot. There are points where the characters are, are having to sit back and speculate as to, wait, what's going on? Or it did feel like a lot of the second issue was kind of getting the band together again in, in a certain sense of everyone saying where they're from, when they're from, and figuring out what their plan of action is going to be and such. Yeah, I would say this is the opposite of a decompression Bendis type thing. You're getting loads of content. And tons of dialogue and tons of information and, and movement in each comic, it can be a bit overwhelming when you're reading it. You're like, wow, this is so different 
from most comics that you read today. Agreed. Agreed. There's certainly an overwhelming aspect in terms of words on the page, the the plot points per issue, stuff like that. Yeah, overwhelming, not not in the bad sense. Overwhelming no. and it's so different. You know, you're like, wow, this is a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, meaty. Meaty is the better word to put. Meaty. Meaty, yes. You know, there's a ton of substance in here. And it's not one of those where you've got to decrypt the story and figure it out because it's, it's all right on the page. But you do got to kind of pay attention and keep up, because if you just zone out for a page or two, you've probably switched time zones and Avengers. Exactly. And I think this that ties into my, at times I would get a little bit frustrated because I go back and read a page because, and that that's a fault of mine. I, I'm ADHD. I told you about that. Mm-hmm. And my focus drifts at times, from time to time. And if you are not paying attention, the next thing you know, you're working with a different team in a different place. You're like, wait a minute, how did I get here? Okay. Go back. Oh, okay, okay. This is what's going on. And so I found myself doing that several times because some of the issues I was reading in the Marvel Unlimited on my iPad, but I was out with my wife and she had the TV on. So that was distracting me. <laughs> I was like, that makes sense. This is something you don't want to be distracted with because there's a lot going on and uh, you can get lost with the it jumps here, jumps there, jumps there. And before you know it, you've had five or six jumps, maybe more in one issue. Well, and also trying to figure out, okay, which version of Immortus or Kang are we dealing with at this moment? Yeah. <laughs> What's going on with the Space Phantom and stuff like that? You know, where are some of these characters from? What's going on in the local time frame? And it's it's not like if you miss one or two of these things that you're going to be completely baffled or anything, but you do want to pay attention and, you know, keep up with what's going on. Exactly. So, I mean, Kurt Busiek is a good, good writer. He's really good. And this is this is good stuff. And Carlos Pacheco is a terrific artist, and he's he's going to be missed. Oh yeah, I mean because you go back here, and, and Carlos Pacheco is no longer with us, but it, it's great to go back and revisit his art. This is his legacy, his mm-hmm. gift to all of us as readers. Absolutely, and they were such a solid team on this series. Really were, and both of them have done plenty of, of brilliant things, you know, elsewhere and whatnot. But to me, this was one of those that if you're going to do a 12-issue miniseries kind of celebrating the Avengers in some way, shape, or form. This did it. You know, granted, we're only through the first half, and it's been 25 years since I've read the second half or whatever. But if you compare that to the current Avengers Forever, where I feel like I could sum up particular issues of, yeah, this is just a bunch of multiversal you know, versions of character X, Y, or Z. That's pretty much it. Yeah. And not much is happening, and... It just feels like it's not written with a lot of heart behind it. I don't know what, but the whole run with Jason Aaron, his Avengers run, has been lackluster, to say the least. Mm -hmm. And and, and what's weird is I know he's a good writer because I read his Conan. I loved it. I read his Thor. I loved it. I'm reading right now his, uh, I can't remember for the life of me, the name of the book. Oh, here it is. Once Upon a Time at the End of the World. And I wouldn't say I love it, but it's really good reading. And then you read his Avengers, you're like, man, he should be able to kill it. But it seems like Jason Aaron has difficulty with big teams. Well, I think that's a possibility. But I think the other thing is not only do you have to be a good writer to deal with like the Avengers, the X-Men, the Justice League or whatever, you've really got to understand those characters and their their continuity. Yeah. And maybe that's a weakness of his that I don't know. I, I really don't know. I mean, how easy would it have been for somebody to write this and just say, well, we're going to have Cap, so... We get the iconic cap, or go for the easy, he's just been fished out of the water, or just about to go into the water, or, you know, something like that. But they picked a very particular time to get a very different take on Steve Rogers than we typically get. 
where he's not the focal point general of the story per se. He's about as passive as a Captain America as you can get. And and that's what's so weird because you read Cap and you're so used to today having that grizzled veteran, I'm leading the team. And he, that's not who he is here. And, and so it, it, it's very, I don't want to say off-putting, it's just very different. Very different. Yeah, if you had never read the past Cap, you'd be like, what? This is not the Cap. Busick doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> well, think how different of a story this could have been. If we had picked Cap at the height of his, you know, I'm in charge and, and everybody knows it, so, you know, let's just go with that kind of a thing. The, the be-all, end-all leader he can be. Yeah. Grab Wasp from her point where she's chairman of the Avengers and in a similar boat. <laughs> the Photon Captain Marvel, Monica Rambeau, when she was leader of the Avengers and kind of firing on all cylinders and such. Hawkeye, when he's on his A game, I don't know if he's ever led the Avengers or whatever, but he's been certainly totally capable. Well, he led the West Coast Avengers or whatever. He did lead the West Coast, yep. You know, and I'm sure there's two or three other primal leaders of the Avengers. And you could have had a team that would just be, you know, taking names and knocking down doors or whatever. Exactly. And it also could have backfired. It could have been the biggest egos in the world uh, fighting with each other, arguing about whose plan we're going to follow. Well, you know who I would have tossed in to prevent that? Who's that? Ben Grimm. Oh, Ben Grimm would have been hilarious. Because <laughs> you get all of them, it's like, I'm going to be the leader. I'm, you know, or they're all taking charge. And he's like, it's not clobbering time. Knock it off. Yeah. We'll flip a coin, (laughs) take turns, whatever. Yeah. Shut your trap. (laughs) And what would have been hilarious if if he wound up leader in that? That would have been awesome. That would have been funny. (laughs) But that's the kind of thing. You can do that because these characters have the backstory. We know who they are and how they've changed over the years. Very true. Very true. And Kurt Busiek, he did pick Cap at a perfect time because you have the skills of Cap, yet you don't have the... The, the ego that comes along with it, I would say, at this point, or, or the authoritarianism. I don't know what, what well, the right word is. You've, you've got Cap literally at his strongest and at his weakest at the same time. Exactly. And that's what feels weird, but it's true. Yeah. So, again, Busick's knowledge of the Avengers, of storytelling and stuff, it's a great combination here. It really is. And it's, it's cool. If you are into, I would say, classic characters, too. That don't pop up a lot. Mm-hmm. We, 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 we don't see the Wasp that much. There's like a five-issue miniseries that's coming out or just came out. I can't remember. But it, it, it's characters that you literally don't see. You don't see Rick Jones. You don't see the Wasp. You don't see a lot of the characters that he's pulling from. This is your opportunity to pick it up, Marvel Unlimited, or go to the back issues and, and kind of enjoy them because Kurt Busiek writes it well. Yeah, and so even though me is that that's a that's a crutch of mine. I'm ADHD, and sometimes I get distracted if the TV's on when I'm reading, and I I tell myself not to do it, but I do it because time crunches sometimes, and it takes away from the story a little bit. But he, when I'm focused, I'm like, oh, this is a good read. This is a really good read. I like this. Well, and again, seeing the Western characters, some of the alternate future type characters of you know Thundra and uh, Killraven and such, uh, the agents of Atlas and stuff. There's a lot of exploring corners of the Marvel Universe that, that don't get as much panel time as they probably should or could. Exactly. So it's really kind of cool. And this was, if I had to sum up where this was with Marvel. Okay, 19, was it 1996 that Marvel went bankrupt, roughly around there? I don't remember when they went bankrupt, but 96 was around the time of the Heroes Reborn, where they farmed out the Avengers and stuff to uh, Image. 
Yeah, they were doing some stunts because maybe they had to at that point. And but I remember this was short. This Kurt Busiek writing this and the Avengers Forever. This is when stuff started to pop up. The early two thousands, late late nineties, where we we're kind of getting out of that malaise of the collectors, the speculator boom, the variant cover boom, mm-hmm. where there was just stuff that was being printed and not necessarily good stuff. I mean, there, there was a lot of bad stuff being printed. Well, you went from the 90s jacket era of the Avengers, which is generally not seen to be a high point, although I enjoyed that era. They're all wearing leather jackets and, and whatnot, and it's just a different look for them. And you wind up at the end of that decade with Busick Perez as the creative team on the Avengers and just knocking it so far out of the park, it wasn't even funny. And then to have a side series like this that was equally energetic and enjoyable to, to read and stuff, great time to, to be an Avengers fan. It really was. And, and this book kind of reminds me of what I'm hoping that we're going to be running into in the not-too-distant future, because I feel like we're kind of coming out of that, uh, you know, recently, that speculator-type variant cover-type gimmick. It's still going on right now. Oh, yeah. And, and, and when that bubble pops... I think the companies realize we got to get people who can actually bring people in to read the content because the content's good, not just because we can do this trick or that trick with variant cover by 100 and you get this. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, this is the type of material that you get coming on the back end, which is just going to reinvigorate everything as far as like, I love comics. And I feel like we're getting, as as things get worse and you and I complain more, I feel like... (laughs) That that's the light we're seeing at the end of the tunnel. That's coming. I I know it's going to come because <laughs> they have to. Well, we're getting that a little over at DC with Jeff Johns and Mark Wade bringing yeah. their love of the characters back and stuff. And there are other creators that love the characters equally as much. It's just their take on the characters and my take on the characters differ. Yeah, and that's where things get a little problematic for me. I, I I agree. So I, I'm hopeful for the future because I remember this is kind of like one of the titles that was like, let's reinvigorate things and get people excited about comics again for the comics versus the, the, the game. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a fun read. It's a meaty read. And it's but it's it's stuff that if you were buying it monthly, you got your money's worth. I feel like if you bought this. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I've I've really enjoyed these six issues. I was surprised how much of this series I had forgotten, which was, you know, basically most of the basic plot, other than we grabbed a team from across time and there were two Hank Pims in it. I think I remember that and Cap, but beyond that, not much. I do not recall what happens in the next six, and I'm looking forward to rereading them. Yeah, that's where I am. I completely forgot the story. Like I said, I read it years and years ago when mm-hmm. I was getting back, but not originally, but like probably back in like 2009 or something. But I'm excited to read the next six issues and see the conclusion to everything because it's been a fun read up until now. Yeah, yeah. I'm like I said, I'm looking forward to it. Should be a blast. I'm curious how it both comes full circle on the threat that was teased there in the first couple of pages at the beginning. If we get the rationale for why these Avengers from these times and kind of you know what's the the ultimate payoff we've got because we know with Kurt Busiek, he knew he was doing twelve issues of this. We're gonna get the payoff at the the final twelfth issue, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, I I, I think so. It'll be good. I, I know it'll be good because Kurt Busiek is a great writer. I mean, he's one of those writers. It's not always great, but if he's writing it, it's usually gonna be great. <laughs> well, and let's face it: if this wasn't great, we wouldn't have been excited to reread it to begin with. 
Yeah, true. It true. would have been a forgotten. Oh yeah, I guess they did that. Exactly. And, and, and honestly, Carlos Pacheco's art in here, it's so 90s, but 90s, I would say in a good way versus obnoxious way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you get the characters, they look like bodybuilders, you know, from like back in the 90s, everyone was steroided up, but you still get some of that. But they're not like over the top. I, they're, they're done very well. You could tell he liked drawing the characters. You could tell he put his heart into it. So it was good. Good art. Absolutely. I don't think it was his best art. I would agree. But again, most really good artists like him get better over time, so go figure. Yeah. Uh, but solid storytelling. It you know was a very easy read throughout all of this. Even with all the, the words on it, the art still had the, the place to shine and whatnot. And it was just, again, very well put together. Yeah. Anything else? No, that does it for me. Cool. Recording clips for the preview Spotlight episodes is easy, and we've got an open submission policy for these episodes. Please send in clips to support the comics you love as often as you can. If you'd like to get email reminders for the preview Spotlight episodes, you can join the emailing list on the main page of the comicbookpage.com website. The deadline is typically the second Saturday of the month at 9 a.m. Check the main page of the website for more information and the exact deadline for the next preview Spotlight. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.